From Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Kristen Yoder and Simone Similuka Radzins. This episode of Cannabis Business Minds is sponsored by the Cannabis Lab Los Angeles. Law, accounting, and business, providing professionalism to the cannabis industry. Today, we'd like to welcome our guest, Peter Holsworth. Peter began his professional career at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor and later started his own advisory firm, where he started three separate hedge funds. He then joined Biotrack THC as the chief investment officer, where he was responsible for the successful capitalization of the company. Mr. Hallsworth has since (coughs) been charged with the formation of West Coast Chapter of the Cannabis Lab and is the president of the Cannabis Lab. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for, I'm happy to be here. Yay, that was such a brief intro. Please fill in some of the gaps of how, you know, your your background and how you got involved in the cannabis industry. Well, I'm uh, not originally from this industry, however, have been um, an advocate of medicinal use and appropriate uh, usage of cannabis for as long as I can remember. But I had always stayed on um, an institutional financial advisory and trading role. Mm-hmm. My grandmother actually was a big influence in my life. Um, she was one of the first female vice presidents of Merrill Lynch on the retail side. And I started interning for her when I was very young. And we worked on some projects that helped me get through college, trading financial markets and wow. instruments. And then um, I joined that, that firm, Merrill Lynch. Mm-hmm. And during the tough times, I said, you know, I can do this myself. And... I decided to start my own firms and uh, was very blessed to meet people much smarter than me along the way that gave me a lot of good advice and um, they led me to uh, a great position with a great company called Biotrack. And we so know that, about Biotrack, yeah. yeah Biotrack has gotten a sell. lot of contracts in the country. They have, you know, they um, certainly have met a gap where it was necessity for the industry to have integrity and move forward and to adhere by the Cole Memorandum, mm-hmm. uh, which we're all familiar by the Department of Justice, to implement systems of control, strong and effective, to provide legislators and, and enforcement agencies the oversight to make sure that we're not um, allowing illegal or illicit inventory entering the system mm-hmm. or or um, people that shouldn't be playing in the industry in the industry. Yeah. And for all those listeners who are like, what is Biotrack? What is this tracking? What is the coal memo? So just briefly, so regulated states um, are required to report from seed to sale. And Biotrack is a leading seed to sale provider that's, you know, has its own POS system, but also works a lot with the states to really regulate and ensure that all those parts of the coal memo are being adhered to. And so I'm so excited to pick your brain for about seed to sale tracking because you know we've got some clients in Oregon they're starting to use metric California we're about to start seed to sale tracking and I'd like you to demystify and kind of explain to us and the listeners from a very basic principle like what is seed to sale tracking how is that different than accounting and anything like that well, you know, seed-to-sale tracking is not something that is a uh, new wheel being invented. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's used in many different industries for just tracking purposes. Now we're tracking an agricultural product. But the uniqueness of tracking cannabis has, because because of the fact it needs to be tracked down to the gram, is unlike other agricultural products. Mm-hmm. But the same foundation applies. And so seed-to-sale tracking really is the concept of providing a complete life cycle lineage 
from when the plant, whoever plants it, or the clone is planted, mm -hmm. and it starts to develop into a plant. All those different stages of that life cycle are tracked. And so the way that BioTrack did it is they associated that a 16-digit barcode, which evolved through that life cycle, so that when a plant became a plant, and it was done through the harvesting phase and mm -hmm. ready to go, mm -hmm. the waste, the trim, or the flower was collected, given a new barcode, mm. childlike identifier to the parent, and then shipped off to where it's going to be. Is it going to be tested? Is there mm. uh, going to be transported? Is it going to be made into... Processed. Uh, processed. Yep. Into, you know, crystal Turned into that. oil. Oil goes into an edible. And so right there, you're right. All those different life cycles, mm -hmm. that code, that 16-digit identifier, evolves. Mm -hmm. So that if I'm... If there's a problem with something, right, and this is a system of public safety adhering yeah, to the coal miner, that, you know, if there's a cola or something that is bad or faulty or shouldn't be released because it's violent. Mm -hmm. Mold. Mold. Right? Mold. When yeah. it hits that gun and is registered across the POS, we can, they can stop it right there and there. Traceability, mm -hmm. which is essential in the food markets. Yeah. I mean, for any restaurant, if... I, even at my edible company, we had to keep a sample of every single batch that we made if anyone was to get oh, sick. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. If anyone was to get sick, you would need for them to tell you because there's a batch sticker on every single chocolate bar or whatever. We would get that. We would take that sample and send it to a lab and get it tested to see if there were any pathogens or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And because in California there is no track and trace, and now we're hearing all of these kind of scary isn't studies it? Super coming scary. out about how like ninety percent of the buds out there have some sort of pathogen or molds. Which I mean, I've successfully not even smoked any cannabis at all for like a week now. Seriously, she's like afraid. She's like, now that I know all Dude, this the stuff, the more you yeah. know, it's well, scary, and you know, that's the it point was, of this, it was right? Like that in Washington. Really? You know, Washington, when the recreational market came along, it had all these um, rules by which it had to follow, by which testing was required. Mm -hmm. Yet the medical market at the same time had remained un, un, uh, regulated, yeah. untested. So mm -hmm. they were giving medical product away that was untested, yeah. while the recreational product was much more safe for the public to consume. Yeah, and I think that's also where the tracking comes in handy, is not just because of diversion, it's for safety, mm -hmm. you know? Right? I mean, and, the government doesn't care and, about safety, but... Well, you know, the government... They care about diversion I think state money. I think state governments do care. I mean, because it's so. the whole public safety issue. Like, when we're talking about... But it's these, about money, too. You know, right? I, I, I would say to you that um, having a little bit of interaction with the Board of Equalization and Fiona Ma's efforts to provide us a fair, equal system of track and trace, mm -hmm. as well as taxation, excise tax, um, they do care about public safety because... They hear time and again how the lack of a system and a lack of banking um, really has promoted me walking in with a duffel bag of $250,000 into paying taxes on the allotted tax or cash day. Yeah. You know, and so um, it is a matter of public safety. And these are, you know, this industry wants to be recognized as a legitimate industry. It's been an industry throughout our culture, whether legal or not, for the the uh, inception of man, as far as I can yeah, remember back. Seriously. I mean, we used hemp thousands of years ago. The Constitution. And, yes. And, and so to be uh, yeah. blinded to its benefits now, I think, is ludicrous.
Yeah. I agree. So just to elaborate a little bit more on seed-to-sale tracking, you mentioned that um, BioTrack is um, just like a barcode. And I know that there are some states that do RFID. What do you think, you know, from the standpoint of neutrality, being Switzerland, what's what's good, what's bad, what are the pros and cons of each of well, these? Well, you know, BioTrack isn't the only one doing barcodes, and so mm-hmm. a barcoded system is very easy to do. They're just choosing to use that system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other states are run by a company called Franwell that designs a system called Metric. Okay. And, um, you know, the city of Colorado has had their dealings with Franwell and Metric ups and downs, and I think they're improving the system all the time. Mm-hmm. I would say that the industry would um, probably tell you um, that there's loopholes around the um, actual authenticity of counting the plant with an RFID code. Mm. And le- because of the fact that it has a radio frequency identification device, um, there's been instances in Colorado, and they, the Marijuana Enforcement Division of Colorado will tell you this, where they've gone into places and they found a bunch of RFID codes or uh, tags in Just a box, out. you know, mm-hmm. and, and not attached to the plant or them being reused. And furthermore, um, you know, the company Franwell that issued Metric um, stipulated in Colorado that they have to buy the RFT codes from Metric. Yeah. They're not the only supplier of these in the world or something. And mm. so there's quite a healthy margin attached to that. Um, and I think it's I think it's a little you know you're squeezing the the system when you yeah. don't allow open market architecture to dictate price discovery. Yeah, hell yeah. And so um, you know I I would say the easiest way and the way the world is working is through a barcoded system. Now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everything has one. Yeah. Why not just assimilate to something that works for everybody? Absolutely. What are the costs associated with like seed to sell tracking? Um, well, you know, from a commercial standpoint, a, a cultivator or a processor dispensary, mm-hmm. um, it ranges depending on the quality of the system. And there's a lot of different competition out there mm-hmm. right now for seed to sale commercial. And um, you can pay anywhere from 250 hundred, you know, 250 bucks per month to mm-hmm. a couple thousand per month. And they range dramatically on the controls you have over your business. Uh, there's various ERP softwares available now that provide you a lot more control over the execution and executive controls you'd probably want to see. You know, what products are making me money in my margins? How fast are they selling versus other? Mm -hmm. What employee is selling more than the others? Yeah, Uh, basic business ERPs. You know, you you say basic, but they're just lacking in the the, the marketplace. But they're coming to the forefront now. Okay. And I think 2017 and 18 is going to be the year of compliance for the industry because they're all gearing up for California. Yeah. Yeah. California being the largest cannabis market out there. Yeah. In, in the, the country. In the world. Yes. In the world. In the world. True. And I'm a fan of ERPs because when it comes to edibles, there are so many little pieces, not just the oil, but, you know, with any recipe, there could be 10 to 15 ingredients that you need to keep track of on all of it. And I've just found these systems to be seared. Seriously lacking. Yeah, you were lacking depth. We need to them reporting. to catch up. Mm-hmm. You know, we're yeah. a real industry. Yeah, uh, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to apply it to the cannabis. Exactly. Industry. Los Angeles is an eight billion dollar market next year. Now let's mm-hmm. think about we it. We probably other are other now. We just that, don't know it. Uh, that are other eight billion dollar markets, and they demand and receive top quality software and service providers. 
Yeah. And I'm th- saying, I'm here to advocate for that. That's really why I uh, have gotten so passionately involved with the Cannabis Lab. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, and, and we can kind of segue into that because you didn't even complete that part of your bio. And then we can maybe go back to a little bit of seed to sale. So you were at Biotrack, and then what prompted you to make this new move and come out to Los Angeles? Well, um, the industry has uh, really advocated for itself and gotten itself to a great point. But what I believe it is in need of desperately now is professionalism and execution. Mm-hmm. Um, I came from a um, institutional kind of tra- uh, training with Merrill Lynch. And then I was blessed to have a, a wonderful mentor that came again from Ernst & Young and, mm-hmm. and other very professional institutions in which we could count on execution and people doing what they said they were going to do. And it was a little tough working at Biotrack at first and seeing a high level in the industry because, you know, even we were guilty of doing, saying things and not executing on them. I think anybody who knows Biotrack is well aware of a lot of things they said they were going to do and weren't able to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, I said to myself, well, why um, are these people, they want to be of value, but they may not know anything, but they have an education. So I, and, uh, have been charged with the launch of the West Coast uh, um, startup of, of the Cannabis Lab. And that stands, Lab standing for Law, Accounting, and Business. And this organization, its mission is to provide professionalism and professionals to the industry mm-hmm. through higher level educational programming. We are selecting people who have value of uh, timely and pertinent message or um, information or uh, something that we should all be aware of, that the decision makers of the industry should be aware of, to the table so that the C-level executive, the mm-hmm. CFO, mm-hmm. the in-house counsel, or all those positions on companies outside of cannabis mm-hmm. can learn and be value-add. Bring your education to this industry. We need you. Mm-hmm. And so that's our message. Yeah, not no offense to cannabis colleges or anything like that, but this isn't... I mean, in full disclosure, pivot. yeah, I'm the social chair of the Cannabis Lab in Los Angeles um, because Peter's smart and he recognized that I, too, understand this. It's time to get our stuff together as an industry in California specifically uh, because there is the Cannabis Lab in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but here specifically, lawyers, accountants, and business people are necessary to getting us to compliance next year. And these meetings, these networking and this education that they're providing is to take it to the next level, to become more professional. And this isn't for how to start a dispensary or how to grow or whatever. That's not the goal here. This isn't for startups. It's mm-hmm. for professionals and for companies that need to get to need to take it to the next level. Yeah. And, and I think it, it is so important right now, especially in Los Angeles, because if you look at where California's been, mm-hmm. really there's been a lot of, of operations that have not, let's say, fully disclosed their operation or yeah. been operating in the dark, right? They haven't yeah. had to. And so they haven't had to. Mm-hmm. And so they haven't gone out to the accountant. They haven't gone out to the attorney to make sure they're compliant yeah. by state law. or because like, what just, is compliance? But, <laughs> you know? but now that it's all changing in 2018, they are starting to say, okay, I want to remain. I want to be compliant. I want to pay taxes so I can claim this income. 
And thus, they're starting to reach out for those people. But those people have thus neglected their education about the status of the market. Yes. Because the demand for their services for specifically cannabis hasn't been there. So now that service provider, that professional, is rushing to find higher quality information, education, that they they can digest at their level. And so, you know, I invite the professionals in the Los Angeles area um, that are looking to service and be a value add to this booming industry yeah. here to come and, and learn more about the Cannabis Lab Los Angeles. So talk to talk to me. I mean, I know you guys have been working on it. And we talked a little bit about it. But what's that look like for somebody like myself that's a professional, an accountant, and I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm sitting here with you guys, mm-hmm. but, like, what does it mean for me? Well, you know, you're an experienced person in the industry. Yes. <laughs> and I think you would immensely gain from not only the, the people that we're going to put up in front of you to learn about mm-hmm. other aspects of the industry that maybe as an accountant you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Plus, I believe it's a networking opportunity to meet other decision makers. You know, we really are striving for providing not basic information, not introductory information, not intermediate, but really finite details about our municipality here in Los Angeles and the future and who's making those decisions so that if we have a chance, we can form a voice and we can influence the way the industry should go for the people that are in the industry. Yeah, it's so important to be a part of your local government policy-making chapters yeah. everywhere in california especially we have 58 counties yeah and everybody's like what's going on it's like check no, we with were, your local government it was crazy we were yeah. on the phone today with somebody from mount Chasta about just him being really unclear of what kind of entity structure he needs to do what's even happening with the laws and i'm like well who's your lawyer like this is the person you should first be talking to so it seems like well, a lot and of he benefits. Called, he like called the state attorney general, and then they're like, "Talk to this lawyer," and that lawyer's like, yeah. "Wait, talk those to this people lawyer." People have those connections yep. throughout the state and can become our advocates. What they are, and this is a human trait, and everybody's guilty of it, is they rush into the room thinking that they know. Mm-hmm. Because they're the best at what they are in their field. So yeah. they have that confidence. Yeah. What so we true. need to do is still re- keep them confident and keep them on our side, but give them the weapons necessary to make them our real sharp advocates for the right type of change. Yeah. You know, these states that um, have developed traceability programs, yeah. getting back to it, uh, like Washington, have found holes in their programs, have readjusted their tax rates, have um, you know, caught a lot of uh, people cheating the system. We don't want to see those things develop in California because California is the king of the hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one's denying it. And Los Angeles, in my opinion, humbly, is the biggest, and, and it's the biggest market here. So the mm-hmm. consumer reigns here. So we have a chance to do it right, learning from those other states. And that's why I think education is at the foundation of doing that. Absolutely. And the power comes in groups. Yep. Where power we work numbers. together. Exactly. Power numbers. Exactly. So talk to us a little bit about, I, I'm so skeptical. I've done tons of fraud investigations and I can't wait to, you know, not do a fraud investigation, but understand, <laughs> like in the cannabis industry, but really, 
understand and ensure that the seed to sale tracking and this compliance is really mitigating fraud, right? And you mentioned there's like a lot of loopholes that people were doing and a lot of failed things and don't want to give anybody ideas, but I <laughs> guess what were those and what should people and, you know, seed to sale tracking systems be looking for to ensure that there is compliance and adherence to the Cole memo? Yeah, you know, um, if in anything developing, I think you're going to eventually find through working through it that there's going to be things that you probably didn't think about at the beginning that you're coming up throughout the process, yeah. right? And cannabis being a new industry is a perfect <laughs> example of that. Um, Biotrack and other seed-to-sale providers, um, you know, still are lacking really, in my opinion, a very key piece of the puzzle, which is closing a relationship away from cash. Yeah. And um, the ability to provide a closed loop system in seed to sale only goes so wet, so far because there's still an ability to manipulate data, mm-hmm. I think, um, between that reporting process of, oh, did I sell 10 pounds or it 9 seems, pounds? Yeah, it seems very self-reported. And so, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm able to, to transfer information off something into QuickBooks, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's human error, and there's unscrupulous people within the industry, and there's a, and when you're always dealing with cash, there's um, there's just open hands. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, there's even shrinkage rates between the taxation departments in the state and in many states. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. From from receipt of the to the bank. So, what I would say is the industry needs a cashless um, uh, solution, and. Um, I think there's a the there's a lot of ideas on how to solve that out there right now. Mm-hmm. I yep. think the industry desperately, desperately needs it. Um, however, you know, I, I, I'm I'm kind of thwarted by the uh, comments recently by our administration. Yeah, I was you know, ask, instead yeah. of embracing something that could lead to the revival of local municipal economies or state economies, add to our educational budgets, add to our infrastructure, add to so many different ways to help our society. We condemn this choice of the people. Um, it is it is flabbergasting to me that uh, they chose to have such bold language. But nonetheless, uh, such bold language. I, th- I think I think the industry will will continue. Oh yeah, yeah. stronger what? than ever. Look, we're like a snowball, and like we're already going down the hill, and it's just going to get bigger. So yeah. you can like get with it or like get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, and right. I like we that. get with it. I like that. Cow, exit. No, yeah. I'm <laughs> seriously, yeah. Oh my goodness. No, it's scary. But I guess with this new administration and with the concept of cash management solutions, how do you marry those two? Well, um, in the current juncture, the federal government obviously has a little bit of a problem with a yeah. bank, an FDIC, and that's really where it is. The FDIC now, banks are using this, uh, in my opinion this class and labeling of a Schedule One drug as kind of a facade. Really, what it comes down to is the profitability of banking a cannabis, or not even cannabis, a high-cash recipient transaction and a customer. Mm-hmm. Those compliance officers are quite expensive. And to accept the, a, a, a cannabis account due to the amount of cash bring, brought in, uh, it limits the amount of cash they can bring into the bank and the verification time requirement required on the on the behalf of the compliance officer for the bank. Mm-hmm. So at one hundred and twenty five thousand to you know x amount per per compliance officer, having to go through there's only so much so many uh, 
only so much uh, accounts each bank can handle. And that's, mm. I think, the reason you saw um, M-Bank leave in Washington, mm-hmm. the industry, saying get out. Because it's just too darn expensive. Too costly. So what the industry, in my opinion, really needs mm-hmm. is um, a exchange of dollar for credit or a way to eliminate the purchase of cannabis almost like a club uh, were to be. There's a couple companies out there that are trying to do it right now. Mm. One is a company called uh, PayQuick mm-hmm. in Washington. Mm-hmm. There's another company called Alliance Financial Network in Colorado mm. that's come to um, some you know, interesting results about that. But yet, at the current juncture, the, the industry, the municipal, the government, the statewide or federal, yeah. is not accepting said... Um, said currency but i think that's going to change you know the the change or purchase of credit so what about bitcoin i don't get it i mean i get it i don't really even it's boring to me bitcoin and the blockchain but bitcoin reminds me of silk road (laughs) yeah i know right i'm contacted by them all the time these bitcoin people she is or payment, or solutions. payment solutions or whatever, and I can't tell them apart. Well, uh, Bitcoin is, there's no verification of Bitcoin. I so see. you don't have to become a member. Mm. I can be a unscrupulous individual and making money in unscrupulous ways, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I can wash my money through Bitcoin. Thus, I'm a money launder. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a membership organization, mm-hmm. there's certain levels of know your client or... Um, background check that you would have to go through to wash your name or something around yeah. that. And I think that's a, a possible solution for oh, the industry. Okay. Hmm. Knowing who you are. You know, in, in other industries, like for my past financial industry, yeah. you had KYC, know your client stipulations, where you had to have intimate knowledge of how they made their money, where they're from. You know, you, you got to make sure you're not taking in Pablo Absolutely. Escobar and saying, yeah. no, don't worry, it's a $100 million account. You know, no, yeah. no big deal. Yeah. yeah. We're going skiing. I'm not going to notice that, uh, yeah, safe or something like that. No, absolutely. But, Chris, I mentioned, weren't you at um, a Board of Equalization meeting on cash management at the state? The, or what was it? Was it the BOE? It was the California Cannabis Banking something? Yeah. What was that about? You know, I, I wish I could say that that was a meeting that moved the ball forward. Dang, yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> no. Uh, I got out, out of that meeting, actually. You know, I, I was the last commenter to, to submit a comment because I felt as if they just missed the point completely. Hmm. They had although very qualified guests, great speakers who delivered great and pertinent information. Mm-hmm. They didn't really hear the issues. They heard problems but they didn't hear solutions to the problems. Everybody knows that robberies or cash is a problem and everybody yeah. knows these things. Yeah. What we don't need to hear anymore are those problems because they've been in problems forever. Yeah. What we need are solutions. Exactly. And so instead of having people up there that had solutions to the problem or, or offering banking like a company called Hyper or this alliance or uh, um, you know or having um, PayQuick up there but they did have PayQuick up there but it needed to be a round table of people providing them solutions because they brought in and she was a great presenter and very qualified in her mm-hmm. position and very intelligent young lady, um, a professor from the University of Alabama, to discuss oh. her perspective on a legal basis of the problems existing. And at the end of the day, she went to the whole presentation and told everybody what they already knew 
but the federal government has to change its scheduling. <laughs> and, you know, that was her summation. Oh, jeez. And we don't need to hear that no, anymore. What because, we need to hear yeah. are how are we going to help the people involved in this industry to get to be safe and not have millions of dollars of cash wandering around. It seems to me after watching the California Banking Committee at the House um like in December. Few, yeah, in December uh-huh. Their whole concern was, how do we collect the tax cash? There's so much cash. We don't have enough labor to count all the cash. And we have to get an armored car to go drive to the farms because it's not safe with all that cash. Or like the guy from Humboldt was like, we literally received money that was wet because they had to rinse it off because it was in the ground. And they had to... And it's like their whole focus is we need to find banks that will accept tax payments because there needs to be a safe place where the government doesn't have to be in the danger zone of holding the cash. God forbid the cannabis business owners mm-hmm. have a bank account. They're like, oh, we need to find banks that we can have them take the cash in because it's not safe for these people to bring mm. bags full of so, cash to our offices. So that's available now. The Cole Memorandum mm-hmm. stipulated, and it's in one of the first paragraphs, the banking is allowed for this industry per the mm-hmm. bank's risk tolerance. And so if you employ enough of these compliance officers for the bank and you're comfortable enough, their workload allows them to do their job appropriately, mm-hmm. then you can bank it. But, you know, at There's... most, these guys are being able to take three to seven accounts before they're up to their eyeballs yeah. and paperwork because they have to verify it. It seems like they're just, honest, they probably. don't want it. So they no, don't want they it. Don't, the, banks, the banks aren't rushing to get into it because it's not a profitable source for them. Yeah. And I don't... That's so weird. Well, but They're it, hiding it makes behind sense. Schedule one. It, I mean, it makes sense. Think about it. Like, if it costs that much to hire a chief or, like, some compliance officer and there's a certain amount of time spent each month or something on that, and we already know how many cannabis operators there are. Okay, we're talking about solutions. Yes. We are depressed. We, you know, just did a podcast actually about the new administration. We're actually yeah. doing a special release this week on it. Um, wish you actually had been on it because you provided some really interesting insight. So imagining that this is going to stay for four years of this, this we don't know what's going to happen with adult use, but medical, yes. Probably that means it's not going to be from the federal government changing it from a schedule one, two or three, four or five or eliminating it, right, like in the next four years. And so that's crippling for the banking industry or for us in banking. So no one has a crystal ball, but what do you think? What Like what kind of solution? Is it one from the ones that you represented or like what? Because I know there's so many people listening that are like, dang, this we is need me. A bank. I need a bank. <laughs> I asked the accountants. They don't know. I asked lawyers. They don't know. So, Peter, do you have any ideas? What's the answer? <laughs> What's um, the answer? I, Stop you, the problem. I, I think that um, the answer is um, that I do not believe the federal lift or FDIC or, or the federal government is going to give away a magic wand mm-hmm. and allow for banks or to push them and encourage them to continue and to, to bank the industry. Um, I don't see a solution to um, that on a federal level anytime soon. What I do see are solutions that are coming up by very smart people in the industry um, in which take the exchange of money for and issue and extend credit, not credits like um, like Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but membership organizations that extend money for credit. 
and that credit is recognized amongst members that are consumers and businesses. And they agree, all of them, to recognize the credit one for one for the dollar, and that dollar is backed in a non-separated or a separated fiduciary account. Mm. And I think that might be a solution for the industry, but I don't. Um, that'd be one huge account. Yeah, yeah and is there? Like, I mean, account. that seems massive. like there's massive risks for that. Well, see, in, in order to complete that, you'd have to be a regulated by FinCEN, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Financial Crimes Division of the U.S. Department of Treasury, mm-hmm. and you'd have to probably be registered as an MSB, which is a money service business. Mm-hmm. And so, those institutions exist wide across the United States. The U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. Commodity exchanges, oh. security exchanges. Like mm. money or financial mm. Western Union? Western Union. Oh, and, interesting. And, and so what separates those yeah. and makes them non-bank financial institutions mm-hmm. is the fact they don't have a license to define and refer, and, re, and retain deposits. And now, I a see. license to do that makes you a bank. Mm-hmm. And what that makes you, allows you to do is instead of holding on to 100% of those deposits, you only have to hold on to 30%. Mm. And you can lend that money out and you can Uh-oh. charge interest on other people's money, and then you can create money through our. Uh, <laughs> through Dude, I know what our new system. job is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think yeah. it's yeah. new job. Yeah, <laughs> so well, like, well, I, wow, the, that's the banking so system is quite interesting. Yeah, the difference in this is in a non-bank financial institution. Sorry about that. The um, you have to back each dollar with the credit extended, one to one. So there's no manipulation of of percentage backing. Mm. There's a million bucks in credit out there. There's a million dollars in the bank. Yeah, like the gold standard. Like the only way it should really be. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the way it used to be. So. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Before we get to the speed round, you want to talk to us a little bit more about C-Lab and just kind of what are the plans? Like when are you launching? What's up yeah, with absolutely. you're in SoCal? What's up with MJIC? Everything. Like tell us a little bit more before the speed round. We, we've had uh, a great reception. You know, um, I have to give a lot of credit to our founder, Rob Freeman, for providing a foundation for us from the Legal Learning Series yeah. that really provides us, um, you know, a solid step forward. Uh, but the Canvas Lab has received a lot of positive attention, and people are really receiving it. Um, in March 7th, I believe it's going to be, or in the, in the conference for the MJIC in San Diego, we've been uh-huh. honored to have a little introduction and speak to their members and attendees there to show them who we are and encourage those professionals attending to join our group. Um, in early or in mid part of May, we're announcing the date later on, uh, we're going to have a launch in Los Angeles. And we nice. encourage people that are interested in a new type of educational platform to uh, really seek us out and join us for that. And, you know, I'm sure, Kristen, you'll you'll have some more to comment about that yeah. later on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, look for us at Adult Magazine event um, on March 12th here oh, in Los okay. Angeles. And there'll be a couple different uh, April events. I mean, everybody's going to celebrate April. Yeah. But uh, there'll be a couple events that we'll be at very and cool. um, leading up to our launch in May. Yeah, cool. very exciting. Are you ready for the speed round? Sure. Why not? Okay. okay. Um, if someone is thinking about getting into the industry, what is something you think they should know? Um, their municipal laws and licensing process. Amen. No. If you go into a dispensary or a cultivator or processor and say, well, I'm fully aware of my council is deciding this and I am uh, an advocate of this in my municipality and I'm going to apply and adhere to these laws and know them, 
then they'll immediately respect your knowledge base. So know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna go in for a job, you probably research the company. Well, here, research the industry. Know what your mm -hmm. rules and regs are before you move. Get to know the people by name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get them to know you by name. Yeah. Even better. And yeah. we're we're a tight knit community in, the, in yeah. the cannabis industry, and everybody's trying to get in right now. Mm -hmm. It's the ones that prove it for their passion that we like. Exactly. Yeah. What are some business best practices you can share with our listeners? Um, know your costs in and out. Mm. Yes. Um, you know. If you're and your future costs, if you're paying too much for a product that doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. You're probably not making too much money. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so um, you need to be aware of your market uh, surroundings, the costs involved in your ingredients, and your and your fair market value of your product. And furthermore, differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. you know? Totally. Make sure why are that, you different? You know, yeah. Why? Why am I going to you as a consumer? Is it just the location? Because you know. I could be traveling and get it from somebody else. Yeah, yep. absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this too long, yeah. <laughs> Um, Okay, so where do you see the industry, I'll just say in California, a year from now? Um, gosh, I, I hope the industry <laughs> is in a completely different place. You know, coming from a, a system of, you know, providing those seed-to-sale uh, networks, I hope the industry embraces regulation uh, I know they're not going to it's tough and I know that there's going to be a lot of pushback and a lot of black market that's going to remain but what I do hope is that the state the board of equalization the city of Los Angeles the entire state of California come to a meeting of hearts and minds with the industry now listen to the industry and listen to what's important to them and find a happy meeting together so that we can provide taxation dollars people can pay the irs pay their electric bill mm. pay their landlord yes. yeah. stop and carrying around cash and, and and everybody can make a lot of money yep let's not be greedy let's let everybody share exactly yeah. i agree yeah i do too those excise taxes kill like after five years man it's like very costly to be in this business yes i don't think a lot of people realize no they should reach out to us if they have any questions and yes and and i want to I I thank you guys i mean it really oh. is a pleasure to be on here yeah. and i really appreciate you being advocates for professionalism advocates for the industry and doing it right thank people you. need to know this information not everybody who um, is in the industry or looking at the industry has the knowledge base that you two do and I really appreciate it, uh, being able to spend some time with you today. thank you yeah, thanks so much for coming in yeah thanks yeah. for joining the show yeah, yeah absolutely thank you very much awesome cool. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Simone Samaluka Radzins and Kristen Yoder Produced and edited by Gustavo Bulgach at East Venice Recording Studios. Podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com. And you can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.